Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Jason Jackson. I'm here with our pastor, Pat Nemers, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our message from this last Sunday morning where Pastor Pat spoke from James chapter 2 in our Keeping It Real series. But we're on the heels of Thanksgiving here, Pastor, uh, and you've got a fairly large family. Uh, so when you get together, you either have to rent out an arena uh, or a stadium, or uh, come to the church building. And you've been That's doing right. that for years, haven't you? And the church building hasn't cost us anything yet, <laughs> uh, other than the many turkeys and hams that we get for all of this. So, yeah, and of course, the, with the new renovations, uh, yeah. uh, the new modifications, and our whole transform from the inside out theme that we had, $4.5 million remodel, you were a big part of that, Jason. We're rejoicing in what God has done here. And we got to take advantage of it as a family, and it made for a good venue for a family picture, I got to tell you. Yeah. How many are in the family picture? Like, I mean, like how, how many would have been invited to the, to the Nemers family Thanksgiving? Well, everybody gets invited, but as you can imagine, uh, and just for our audience uh, listeners here, we have 10 children, my wife yep. and I, from both of our uh, previous uh, marriages, uh, and uh, so consequently, that's a lot of kids, yeah. and every one of our kids have had kids, yeah. and so um, uh, that that adds up. <laughs> we have 38 <laughs> grandkids, and okay. so uh, for the first time in uh, forever, uh, really, uh, for the first time in many years, I don't remember when the last time, every single one of our kids and grandkids Aww. made it to Thanksgiving. That's amazing. And so that was really the highlight, was yeah. just to have them all together. Yeah. And it was a melee. It was crazy, yeah. but it was fun. And we managed to snap a picture. I mean, praise the Lord for that. So, uh, and uh, that'll be the Christmas picture that will come out this year is our yeah. picture that we got together. So. Oh, very cool. How oh, about you? Now, your family's not quite as big as the one. Yeah, that, no, no, no. Yeah. We're not. Uh, my parents live about 40 minutes south. I've got a brother and sister in law uh, who live just next to them, a couple minutes away from them, and then a sister and brother in law. Uh, that live about half an hour away, and so we we all got together a couple different times over the Thanksgiving break. I've got another sister out in Cincinnati with her family, and they're coming out for Thanksgiving for Christmas, so we're all going to be together there. But yeah, smaller gathering at our house, but lots of memories and, and really great, good food and a great group. We have some real. Uh, you have one of my family That's members right. uh, in, uh, in your family, That's right. and. Uh, I know that they look up to you, and rightly so. You got to tell you got to tell our listeners what 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 was your highlight from Thanksgiving? You know, we smoked a turkey for the very first time. Uh, so I don't know if that's non traditional or whatever, but my wife Meredith made a brine and she made the rub, and I just stuck it on a pellet smoker outside on the deck, and you know, five hours later, took it off, and it was amazing. It mm. was so good. I would I think I'm going to do that every single time. And it makes me feel like I'm making Thanksgiving dinner when I put it on the smoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah, you did it. You're the smoker. So <laughs> yeah, I did it. <laughs> I love smoked almost anything and uh, including turkey. I love smoked turkey. I have a son-in-law who's an amazing uh cook and uh, he did a smoked cook uh turkey, but my favorite is smoked ham. So I love yeah. smoke I love Thanksgiving for the ham and I I can't get enough of it. So well, part of Thanksgiving was this last Sunday morning. Uh, on the heels of Thanksgiving week, uh, you preached a message from James chapter 2. This series, Pastor, has just been really, really great. It's been, um, you know, it's been focused, it's been pointed. 
it's it's pretty clear every single week what Scripture is saying. You don't have to do a whole lot of digging and trying to figure out what in the world is James yeah. telling us to do here. Yeah, there aren't any pretty, hidden messages in here. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's pretty clear. So this last Sunday um, from James chapter 2, just give us, I guess, a sort of a, a, a the elevator speech. If somebody said, hey, what was the message about on Sunday? What's the passage about, really? Well, the title of the message could be you know, we try to do that. We're not kind of, we don't, we don't have a lot of slick titles now. We try to make it so that it's uh, friendly to those who are looking online for subjects and stuff. And it's real faith. I know that's not, uh, that's not provocative, but that is the, that's the message of James chapter two is, is your faith real? And he's, he, he is uh, challenging uh, his, his audience as to whether or not their faith is real. Yeah. And uh, so he does it with a couple of examples. We're not done, really. We kind of have a part two coming up this week as well with illustrations that he himself is going to give from the life of uh, Abraham and Rahab, mm -hmm. the harlot. We're not quite there yet, but we, we will get there. But as you mentioned already, this is a very practical epistle, and you've been a big part of it. You preached a couple of messages back-to-back -back just a few weeks back. Very powerful and really teed up this whole uh, second chapter and yeah. the whole business is, you know, is your faith real? Yeah. And uh, will it stand up in the test of time? And I got to tell you, um, I gave an illustration in the message, you may recall, from the book of Acts mm -hmm. and uh, Simon the Sorcerer, mm -hmm. you know. To me, if you were to ask me what my, my personal takeaway from the... You know, we all have kind of our own personal takeaways from yep. the messages we prepare for. And mine was that. The, you know, just just the... Um, it, it was very sobering. Here, this guy, when you look at Simon, yeah, he, tell the story a little bit. Well, Simon yeah. the sorcerer. I mean, he he's yeah. a pagan sorcerer. He 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 comes under the influence of Philip the Evangelist. He and scores of people are are placing their faith in Jesus. They're getting baptized. They're following Philip, and he's one of them. I mean, it comes right out and says that he believed, mm -hmm. got baptized, and followed Philip. And mm -hmm. we could just stop right there and say hallelujah. Mm -hmm. But the context doesn't bear out that it was real. His faith wasn't real. And uh, because uh, he, uh, when he saw the power of God in believers' lives by by virtue of the Holy Spirit, he he wanted that power. He he somehow perceived that he didn't have it, and so he asked Peter and company if he could buy it. Right. I mean, did, it, did, think about the guts that it had, to, or, or or just the brazenness. Say, hey, I mean, what what's it going to cost me to have this kind of power? You know. And I illustrated it by a guy in my own life that he did something very similar about a couple of years ago. It blew my mind when he heard somebody give a testimony on our platform and then wanted me to tee him up to do the same. Mm -hmm. As a result, Peter's, you know, being able by the Spirit of God to see into that guy's heart said that he was full of bitterness and he was still captive to his sin, which mm -hmm. is which to me was the was the um the proof that his faith was not real, but it was fake. Yeah. And I do think we live in such a um, such a sensory generation. You know, we it, we're all about the senses. We're all about the the heebie-jeebies. We're all about the feelings. Uh, you know, and we get moved, and people make decisions. And you know, I and uh, but then you know, the proof is always in the pudding. Is it real in the end? And yeah. we challenged uh, our people to that end. I actually had a guy um, text me. Sent me a text. A guy I've worked with a little bit sent me a text the next day, to, and he and these were his words: "I'm Simon." Mm. 
sort of identifying that there was an original, I, I, I really want to be part of this, I'm giving my life to Jesus, and now I'm wondering, was that real? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Is there fruit? Yeah, he went on to confess that he hadn't done anything that I had challenged him to do over a year ago, and he even started naming some of those things that he had, and to be candid, I'd forgotten that he'd made commitments to these. I made a commitment to this. I made a commitment to read my Bible. I made a commitment to come to church regularly. I haven't done any of those things. So I came back to him, and uh, so we're still wrestling with mm -hmm. whether or not his faith is real. But I'm genuinely excited about renewing an opportunity. And he's open guy. to the conversation. He Sounds is. like he's so. So you said that the title "Real Faith" is not all that provocative. But just this morning, I read that the Merriam-Webster Word of the Year 2023 is authentic. Mm. I think I think real is on people's hearts and minds right now. There's there's a yearning for authenticity. I think we see so much that just feels fake or that feels shallow or that comes across like a scam that we are just yearning for this realism, this authenticity. And, you know, just, just an illustration, I, I think young people are looking for that kind of thing, especially young people. They're saying they're coming to conversations and to churches and they're looking at, you know, politicians and they're seeing people online and they're saying, is there actually any reality here or are these people just putting something fake across. And boy, in the church world, in, in Christianity, we can really fall into that ditch of just making something look good on the outside without there being any depth or authenticity to it on the inside. Yeah. And you know, I think, and you know the Chase, and I've always argued that, uh, that I think, I think people gener gen generally speaking, have always looked for authenticity. Yeah. Now it displays itself a little more boldly these days, I would say. And actually, it there's something kind of weird going on in the culture because Carl Truman wrote a book called the St A Strange New World. Mm -hmm. And he, he talks about how authenticity to the, the general public means just freedom of expression, you know, mm -hmm. uh, express your, your, uh, your gender. Uh, uh, if you, you know, if you're, if you have a uh, leaning toward, uh, you know, same sex relate, make it make. And now just be the authentic, you. just be the authentic yeah. you. And the public doesn't care anymore. It doesn't carry the stigma uh. that it once had. Uh, so when we talk about authenticity, we're not just talking about expressing your feelings. Uh, we're talking about uh, being open about who you are as a, as a, as a human being, as, as a, as a sinner uh, before God as one who fails and is in desperate need of God's kindness, his mercy, and his grace. Mm. And, uh, and I think that that comes out in the genuine mm. believer who has real faith. So re real faith, authentic living, is, uh, is a life that's connected to the truth, which is revealed in Scripture and in God's Son, Jesus. And how, how are we... How are we um, compared or contrasted to what we see in the Bible and see in the life of Jesus? That's really interesting. Yeah, authentic doesn't mean just be just be who you want to be. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's uh, how are you measuring up to Scripture and to Christ? And it's certainly uh, I I may I may have to I think I may put it in my jots and tittles for this message this Sunday. But if I oh well if I did I'll give a preview of it here. Years ago I was uh, we had a lady uh, in the church that I pastored. I, I've only pastored in two churches, this being the second. But th so long ago, I was pastoring in this church, and I led this guy to Christ and his wife 
said she was already a Christian and boy, she, she punched every, Mm -hmm. every hole. She punched every mark. She checked every box, gave the testimony. And yet the whole time you just, you you didn't seem real. It didn't seem authentic, but you know, she, she said everything she needed to say. And you know, what could we do? We couldn't really judge her, but, but she just was so phony. She was like a $3 bill in so many ways. I mean, you would have, we would have uh, Bible studies, and she'd be the first to raise her hand if a question, and she always got it right. I mean, she'd get the answer right 100%. She was like AI in the room. I'm not <laughs> kidding you. And, uh, and so it was like, oh, my goodness. And, but she was so dubious in some of her ways, but so subtle. It really concerned us. So as a group of leaders in that church— and I, I literally can count on less than one hand the number of times I, I've ever done this. But I asked them, let's pray. Let's pray that God will expose her. Mm. Privately, that's what we did. And within, within, by the weekend, by that very weekend, God had exposed her mm. uh, in such a blatant way. It, it got in the local paper what she did. Wow. And uh, it wasn't a disciplinary thing per se. We didn't pursue it that way, but it shut her up for mm. a long time. I, to this day, I don't know if she's ever become a real follower of Jesus, but uh, we could be fooled by people with, with uh, high intellects, yeah. with great intellects, but we should be looking for a life that backs up. And James talks about that. You that's know, he what, talks he's, about that's that. what he's talked about from the beginning of yeah. the book, right? Yeah, I mean, really don't has. just be hearers only, but be doers. And and faith without works is dead. And, and you know, you like our friend Lucas Bear said, our knowledge has outpaced our obedience. Sometimes we uh, can tend to fall back on just what we know. And James talks about knowledge even in this passage too. But let me stop you there. Say that again. You just said it so much in passing. That was. Uh, I know he he was kind of. Sp- taking it from somebody who had said something different. But I love what he said, and it was very powerful. Say it again. I, I think the quote was, knowledge, our knowledge has sometimes outpaced our obedience. Yeah. In other words, our, we, we're so into learning and gaining knowledge um, that sometimes we let that uh, really grow, and our obedience has shrunk. So we like hearing things, and we like gain, you know, getting big brains, but our hearts and our actions have... Uh, really shrunk down. Yeah. And James says it shouldn't be like that. You have to be a hearer, yes, but not just a hearer, also a doer. And so I think that's where James goes even in this passage you preached on Sunday. Show me show me your works. Yeah, in fact, he's going to get so um, particular about that in this next section. He's even going to he's even going to use the word justified and mm-hmm. you know, like in the sense we use the word justified from a salvation perspective, you know, uh, you know, Romans five, one says being justified by faith, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we have peace with God. Uh, James uses the word justified, but he, he connects it to what a couple of people do and says that their doing was the justification of their faith. Oh yeah. And I would think that anybody that was just brainy about their faith mm-hmm. and they had nothing to back it up or very little to speak of, I would think passages like that, rightly so, should trouble them. I think God intends it to trouble us. Okay, so this has people asking questions, right? And the, and the big question that you asked on Sunday was, is your faith real? And so the, the passage kind of gives us these two... Um, 
evidences or evaluation questions, right? How do I know whether or not my faith is real? So give us those two and maybe unpack each of those. Yeah, and again, they like the title. They weren't profound. I mean, the first one was when your faith, it, it, it's not real. You have a reason. We asked the question, when, when should you be worried whether or not your faith is real? Mm-hmm. And the first one was uh, when, you're, when your faith, whatever that faith is, hasn't changed your life. So your faith may not be real, may not be authentic faith, genuine, if it hasn't made any difference in your life. Yeah, I mean, that's what James says. Can that kind of faith save him? I mean, he's, at, he's the one who asked the question. You know, can that kind of faith save? I mean, that's, that's a penetrating question. If it hasn't, if it's not accompanied, we personally, we purposely rather use the word accompanied more than a few times in the message. If, if a life that, a changed life doesn't accompany your faith, then you have reason to be worried because if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. And Paul said that, not James. So they're not in conflict with one another, and we kind of made a big deal out of that at the beginning, if you'll recall. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'm asking the question uh, that maybe people are asking, how, how do I know if the gospel has actually made a difference in my life? How do I know if this is saving faith? Is there a checkbox, a list of things I should be doing? Um, how do I know if I'm doing enough to prove that I'm saved? You know, help, help us understand that, because we're not saved by our works, right? But our, our works do provide evidence that we are saved. So are, are, are we looking for a list of specific works yeah. or a time period of works? I think in this case, it's probably easier for a person like myself to answer that question. When I, I was saved when I was 24 years old. Mm-hmm. How old were you? Five. So there's quite a difference there. You were five yeah. years old when you placed your faith in Jesus. So there's not a lot. Of con- I would say I was smoking a bowl of marijuana and reading the Bible, and the two of those things just weren't lining up wow. for some reason. We really are a lot like. Uh, so there Maybe you Tylenol for me. So there you have it. I mean, there's not a lot of contrast. A five year old does what? You know, you hear him give testimonies. You know, I was disobedient to my parents right, and right. these kind of things. And in some ways, um, the contrast isn't there as much. And you don't. So to your question, I think the person who comes to Christ later on in life should be able to say without any hesitation, my nature was changed. My orientation toward God mm. was changed. Mm. My gratitude to God was changed. My belief in God was changed. My my consciousness yeah. about God was changed. The whole worldview. My entire worldview was changed. And while it might not have been changed overnight, mm. uh, the seed was there. And, and then it becomes a different conversation, how fast people grow. You know, I go back to it, it, my first wife was saved uh, in the same time period as I was, two weeks literally after I was saved. Mm. She came to Christ. She was in the very thick of study studies, her studies to become an RN. Mm-hmm. She had books opened all over the place. The one book that wasn't open much was the Bible. Mm-hmm. But it would be open and we talked about it. On the other hand, here I was. I wasn't, I was just, I was pell-mell into, into everything that Christianity had to offer. And I was basically shoving it down her throat, you know. But, but she did grow. And her growth was slow, but it was steady and it was real. There was no question. She became a woman of great conviction. And, uh, you know, I took off like a rocket, but some of my convictions had to catch up with me a little bit. You know, Mm. I was excited about all things spiritual, but 
you know, I had to kind of, you know, I, my knowledge took off very quickly. Uh, but I was also evangelistic and all those things. I guess what I'm saying is if you're saved later on in life, you'll, you should be able to tell the contrast should be pretty real fairly quickly with some quicker than others. So respond to the parent that says, Hey, my, my five-year-old, uh, claims to have gotten saved, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we don't see a ton of difference in, in her life. But she said the right words, and uh, we're really hoping that it sticks. Yeah, and if it was a couple of weeks ago, I'd say just give it time. Let's yeah. say, come on, you, yeah. I mean, you look at you don't look at your baby, uh, and two weeks later say, man, I there hasn't been a ton of growth here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, so I would say give it some time. Yeah. But if your five year old trusted Jesus, and your five year old's now twelve, and there still hasn't been any evidence. Yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't presume. We've all heard the parents say, you know, make comments. Well, I was there, and he prayed, or she prayed. Yep. That's just psychological gobbledygook, you know. Don't let. And I would say to the parent, uh, let God be God in your kids, your kids' life. And if your kid comes to you when they're in high school, uh, years after they made some profession of faith, and they're under conviction, and they pray to receive Christ, rejoice with yep. them. Yep. Don't don't inhibit them with some strange thing like you prayed with them, you know, yourself yeah. when you were they were little. That'd be silly. That's really good. We we do hear that story quite a bit, right? Where somebody claims to have gotten saved when they were a young child, and then they they they'll say something like, "I you know I drifted or I it, it wasn't real yet or yeah. something," and then later on when I was in high school or when I was in college or something, maybe when I left the home, you know. So that's that's great advice. Don't um, don't diminish it, but you don't necessarily have to go crazy celebrating it all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until you start to see some of the real fruit, long lasting. Yeah, you know, uh, one of our one of the pastors on staff here has even made a bold assertion that uh, he doesn't think you can know for sure until your kids have left the home. Wow. That's a pretty strong statement, uh, and I think you could probably know before that. But I get where he's coming from. He's, you know, he'd seen a lot of things. And when 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 a kid leaves the home, they're not under the jurisdiction of their parents anymore. They don't have to go to church. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, that's where the real rubber meets the road. That's where you can tell whether somebody's the real deal or not. So. Long story short, when when I get the opportunity to make decisions, my decisions should be different. My faith should be in something different. My worship should be different than it was before I got saved, and there should be evidence that my life is is changed and transformed. And if I see evidence, and and if other people are seeing evidence in my life, then it's a good chance that my faith is real and not fake. Like yeah, and it's very someday. affirming when someone else affirms it, yeah, is yeah. it not? You know, and you thanks the Lord for you and for the way. Uh, your your growth and whatnot. I made a comment in the message. I quoted A.W. Tozer, who said that uh, God doesn't save those he can't command. Mm. That's a very strong statement. And yet, if you think about it, it it's true. Mm. Uh, if, somebody, if somebody is truly saved, they then are under a new jurisdiction, and uh, that's who you are, and that's why you need to follow. Doesn't mean you're not going to resist from time to time. Doesn't mean you won't fail, but your orientation should always come back to God. Yeah. Okay, so you should question whether your faith is real when it hasn't made a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. No no change. And uh, the second, second evidence is when your head hasn't reached 
your heart. Yeah, Explain yeah. that. It's a great statement. In fact, in, in this section, you said some people are Bible smart, but dead in heart. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Did you make that up? I did. It's fantastic. I thought it was kind of cheesy Let's myself. I'm glad you liked it. No, I love it. <laughs> I'm a rhyming guy. I mean, I'm, I'm cheesy like that. So I think oh. it's a, Because we all know people like that, and maybe we are ourselves at times like that. Bible smart, but dead in heart. That's a little bit of that knowledge without actually having any of the evidence, the, 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 the core, the DNA to follow it. Well, yeah, and as you know, Jason, it came right out of that last verse we were in, verse 19, talking about the demons. I, uh, you know, just, you know, you believe God, you know, God is one, you do well, you know, join the demons. Yeah. I mean, that's a strong statement. And, uh, and that's, you know, I did say, you know, you know, there's not a liberal demon in all of hell. They, they, they have right theology. They, mm-hmm. they referred to Jesus. You know, what I thought was interesting. I never mentioned this in the message, but you know, there are those who, who challenge the New Testament by saying Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He calls himself the Son of Man quite mm. often, and he does make allusions to the Son of God. But I'll tell you who did call him the Son of God? The demons called him the Son of God. Right. They recognized the person and work of, yep. and the and coming work of Christ. Okay, so they recognize it. They have the knowledge. They even admit that he's the Son of God, but no demon will be in heaven. No demon will be in heaven. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is, just as you referred to, and the point was that uh, the knowledge doesn't save. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, mm-hmm. love builds up. I didn't make that up, by the way. Paul, the apostle Paul did. It's <laughs> uh, a great statement. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we should put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That, 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 knowledge that, puffs up. It's better on a coffee cup. <laughs> but anyway, um, but seriously, um, uh James put that in there. I mean, he puts that in there. By the Spirit of God's leading, he puts that in there. I mean, that's that that when I just thought about that for a little bit, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we're told, you believe, you believe God is one. That's good theology. Mm-hmm. Monotheism. Mm-hmm. God is one. You know, we're tr- we're we're Trinitarians, but we believe God is one, you know. And that's good. So yeah. demons believe that. Where is the evidence? That's the whole thing. They have great theology. They have great intellect. Uh, they can quote scripture. We know that Satan did that uh, with D- with Jesus, mm-hmm. but uh, because but, nobody wants to be connected to the demons, right? Everybody, everybody would say that reads that, and everybody that hears that even today would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't. No, no, no! I'm much different than the demon." Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to be considered one of them. Maybe one of the questions is not just I. I'm Simon, but I am like the demon. That's really interesting. You know, Jason, I was almost, you know, we didn't discuss the message in our elder meeting earlier today. We had other things that we uh, had to talk about. Uh, but I kind of wondered if somebody would bring up the illustration that I touched on. I touched on illustration. I'm quite certain uh, you had a person that came to your mind, and I did too, but uh, I made it anonymous. I talked about in general, there are always there are people who will weaponize the Bible mm-hmm. because of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Their heads are full of knowledge. They might even they even seem to have good theology. But when their life is challenged, when their character is challenged, you know that that which God is supposed to have changed. You mm-hmm. know when you got saved, your orientation. Uh, and let's be honest, I my character has been challenged, and when it's challenged, that's. That's the question. What happens when I'm challenged? 
Am I going to be humble? Am I going to accept that? Am I going to say, you're right, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me and, uh, and seek repentance? Or am I going to defend myself? And there are those who have knowledge only, that who will weaponize Scripture, and, and in so doing, they make fools out of themselves. And Jesus had that word from him from, uh, from John 8, 37, my word has no place in you. Literally, the word place means progress. It doesn't yeah. progress in your life. And that is, that's the whole sum and some substance of the message. Does the truth that you um, claim to have entrusted, has it, does it change your life? Does it progress in your life? And and that's and Paul. I just thought of what Paul said to Timothy in that pastoral epistle. He said, "Let your progress be evident." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, if your progress isn't evident, man, that'd be that's a that's a good reason to be concerned. So it, it's possible that there are some people listening to this that are more like the demons than they are like Jesus, and yet they claim to be Christians. Wow. They, they know, they have knowledge, they even admit, but don't live it out. There's no proof that the gospel has actually changed their lives. Boy. You know, I, I, uh, I do, from time to time, I think about what kind of scrutiny will be put on us if, if we ever have to endure what some of our brethren are currently enduring in this world mm. under communist, socialist, uh, or just oppressive regimes of one kind or another that hate Christianity. Yeah, persecuted. And they're persecuted. Uh, I just, I wonder how, I, I wonder how large our church would be under those conditions. Yeah. Wow. Not as large, for sure. For sure. Oh, man. And yet, there are places in the world that Christians are persecuted and the church is thriving. Yeah. Um, like in China. They are real Christians, man. They're real Christians. And I, uh, when I read those stories, I, I'm humbled every time. Yeah. Um, there's a book I read a couple of years ago. Uh, shoot, I can't think of its name. It'll come to me. But uh, it really was a, a journalist, a Christian journalist, who went to all these these uh, third world countries, these uh, these countries, these closed doors countries, and uh, dispatches from the front. That's right, yeah. And uh, that, uh, man, I read that book, and it was uh, it was so humbling to read that book. So stories of Christians in persecuted I, places. I couldn't. Re- I couldn't relate to it. Yeah. I, there wasn't a story I read that I could have related to. I couldn't relate to one, mm. not one. And I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. So faith without works is dead when it's by itself. Yeah. Pastor, paint us a sort of a a lead pastoral picture of what our church could look like if we really took this passage to heart. Faith without works is dead, so let your works be evidence of your faith. What what would our church look like in our community, in our, you know, 
global community? Well, it would only be in my mind's imagination, mm. you know, but I can imagine the worship services would be even more fervent than they are, and they are fervent, but you'd have people, I think you'd have people on their knees, you'd have genuine repentance, you'd have people walking across the aisle and asking the person to forgive them for this or that. I think we would be, uh, I think there would be a heightened awareness of needs, and uh, you wouldn't have to even have a, we have a ministry called Hope for Des Moines with six or seven different points of service in different areas. I'm not even sure if you'd need something like that. Mm. It would be so natural. It'd be a natural overflow of somebody's walk with God. There'd be a genu- There'd be such a hunger for the Word of God and for truth. And then, of course, the 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 best overflow is to be able to tell others. You you recognize there is a demon world. They are never going to get out of their demon world. And there are there is a place that was created for the devil and his angels, the demon world. The place is called hell. And there are going to be scores of people that are going to end up, some listening to this, no doubt. And uh, and I would think that in an environment where there's great passion for God, where our faith is very operative, there would be evangelism everywhere we look. We'd be looking for those opportunities. We would not let one slip by. Today, Jason, as you remember, we had a little. We have our little. We have a little time with God before we get into the business of eldership. And I was sharing with some of you the. Um, I was in the Old Testament and reading the story of Saul when he became king. And, and if you recall, he was all you know. He'd been you know he was just dum de dum dum you know <laughs> looking for donkeys you know. <laughs> and, and he runs into Samuel and mm-hmm. Samuel and he speaks. He's he prophesies with prophets. He's anointed with oil. He's he's uh, he his heart is changed, and uh, and then he runs into his uncle, and his uncle says, "Hey, where have you been all this time?" He goes, "I'm looking for donkeys." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought it just it just arrested me. I thought, you know, if we would just be alert. You asked the question, mm-hmm. what would it be like? I think we'd be so alert that uh, we would see God in the mundane moments of life as we never as we don't see him now even when we're looking for donkeys and respond to to the needs spiritual physical emotional all kinds of yep. needs around us that yep. that we would be a church that if we suddenly were removed that our our city would notice yeah there's a difference because Sailorville is gone because the the Christians at Sailorville are no longer around yeah boy Amen. Boy, yeah, that's great. I think a good one would just be to quote John Calvin. We said it in the message. Just be a good way to close it up. John Calvin said, "It's faith alone that saves, mm-hmm. but faith that saves is never alone." Yeah. Hey, thanks, Pastor. Really good reminders. Thanks for the great message. This is a fantastic series. A lot of great feedback. A lot of conviction and encouragement, and. Uh, a lot of life change, and um, that's what it's all about. We want to see more people more like Jesus, and that means change for sure. So thank Amen. you. Welcome. Thank you. Amen, and thanks brother. to Tanner, our producer here. Always appreciate you. Amen, Tanner. Thank you. Thanks, folks. Until next time, goodbye.